Good evening. Say and I were in Knoxville last weekend. Marcy and Christian invited us to come visit. Their friends uh, started a production, a theater company, and they had the inaugural play. And it was about Joseph and Mary and about the angels appearing to them. And uh, it, was, it was a great play and a good visit. But I'm always intrigued when I watch a movie, or in this case a play, how they depict angels. I think that's one of those things that we're uh, kind of mystified in Scripture. We're not really sure you know, what they look like and, and how they appeared. Tonight we've called our study, Angels We've Heard on High. And I took that uh, title, obviously, from the Christmas carol. That's a traditional French carol. Originated as early as the 18th century. We don't really know who, who wrote it, who composed the music. Um, first published in North America in about 1819. And there are several uh, versions, translations of that. But they all stem from Luke chapters 1 and 2 about the angels appearing to these people when something special was about to happen. So I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1 tonight. The verses will not be on the screen, so we're going to go through several of these passages and I would just... Uh, if you didn't bring your Bible, you can look on the pew, and there's one there you could grab and use. Isaiah the prophet had predicted 700 years before that there would come one who would deliver people from the oppression. The government would be on his shoulders, and his kingdom would have no end. But for 400 years, there had been silence from heaven. No one had heard anything. No prophet, no vision, no indication that God was involved in their lives. And so it was not really a shock that some of them had given up hope. That's a long time to wait. But Luke chapter 1, it tells us about this amazing day when the angel Gabriel appeared. He came to two people and shared great news that God was about to do what had never been done before. So Luke chapter 1 is a powerful chapter. I want you to kind of follow along with me. And I want us to see the angel's message to Zechariah and then to Mary. And then we'll conclude with some applications from this amazing chapter. So look there in your Bibles, Luke chapter 1. It begins with a story about Gabriel's appearance to Zechariah. In verse 5, in the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. So early on, we learned that these two, Elizabeth and Zechariah, are very special people. Both are descendants of priests. Both are righteous people. Verse 6 says they obeyed the commandments blamelessly. So God chose these two to be the parents of John the Baptist, this one who would be the herald, the forerunner of Jesus. Now, Old Testament Scripture had predicted that Elijah the prophet would be the predecessor, the forerunner of the coming of the Messiah. But Jesus later made it clear that that was a figurative prediction, one like Elijah, that would be John the Baptist. But to this day, the Jews will set an extra place at the table at their Passover meal for Elijah. If he shows up, if he comes to announce the coming of the Messiah, that he's right behind me. Now look at verse 7. It says, now Zechariah and Elizabeth obviously uh, were deeply disappointed. They had no children, the text says. They were both well along in years. What does that mean? That means they're old. What does that mean? 
Well, the universal understanding of what old means is 10 years older than you are, right? It always tends to keep moving. They were old. They were barren. Their hope of having children was gone, or at least they thought that God was about to visit them. Look at verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, historians give us a little more background about what's going on here. The priests were divided into 24 divisions. Each group would serve the temple for two weeks. And then the three special feast days throughout the year, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Pentecost, and of course, the Feast of Passover. And the the course of Abijah was the eighth course serving the temple, one week in the summer and then one week in the winter. And other times, these priests would serve as teachers in the synagogue. So if they were serving in the temple, each priest then would draw lots. That's how they determined what their assignment would be. And the honor of burning incense was most special. So everyone wanted. But if you were chosen, if you did draw that lot, you could only do it once in your lifetime. You would never, not everybody would have that pleasure that opportunity but if you did it would only happen once you could only do it once well Zechariah obviously drew that number that enabled him to go into the sanctuary of God and burn the incense and of course you know from your study that the incense was a symbol of God of the prayers to rising up to God now this is a special moment of course for all the Jews but especially for the family for Zechariah's family because he was the one He had this moment, this special opportunity. Have you ever heard about how they would tie a rope around the ankle of the priest going in? And you realize that that first started in Facebook. And that's part of that fake news. And you need to search it out and make sure because that's not in scripture. That's not in any even post-biblical literature. That's just something that somebody created once upon a time. The fear there is that it's so reverent he might pass out or die or there's any sin in him or any iniquity that he would be, you know, killed instantly. And not so. In fact, what they say is the drapes of the temple would be such that if you did put a rope around the ankle, it's like a labyrinth going through there to get in. And so you really couldn't pull them out with a rope anyway. No charge for that. I thought I'd just kind of throw that in. But I've always wondered about that, and and maybe you have too. But what's going on here is a special moment for all the Jewish people. It's a special moment for any of the priests to be able to do that. And for 1,500 years, no priest had tarried. And yet they'd often thought, maybe, maybe, just maybe, this will be the time when an angel might appear with a special revelation that now it is time, that now the time has come, and that's what happened on this day. Look in verse 10. When the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Now, if you study this in Scripture, angels appeared in different forms, sometimes as humans, Sometimes in very supernatural ways. But what you notice the similarity is that the people that they appeared to were afraid. They were startled. And that's the case here. He reacted in the exact same way. 
but it's obvious to Zechariah that he's dealing with the supernatural being. And so, like others, look in verse 12. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, and here's the stunning news, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. Well, that had to startle him as well. Maybe even take his breath away. I read about a 63-year-old woman who went to the doctor. Now, normally her doctor was older, but there was a young doctor in the group. And so she saw this young doctor, and she bolted out of the room after the exam. And she went screaming down the hall, and she ran into her usual doctor, who pulled her aside and was able to calm her down. And then he went and found that young doctor, and he said, What is wrong with you? Mrs. Terry is 63 years old. She has four children, seven grandchildren, and you told her she was pregnant. What were you thinking? And that young doctor just smiled smugly and said, well, it cured her hiccups, didn't it? (laughs) Zechariah was shocked at the news. If he had hiccups, they were cured, no doubt. Dumbfounded. But the angel told him about this child. The text tells us he will be a delight, a joy to you and a lot of other people. He'd be great in the eyes of the Lord, filled with the Spirit, a Nazarite from birth. He would go on before the Lord in the Spirit and the power of Elijah and cause many to repent. He was to prepare the way of the Lord. John the Baptist was going to be a special person. In verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Is it fair to say it's human nature to doubt the supernatural? Because we see that over and over again. It's kind of human nature to doubt the supernatural. Here's Zechariah face to face with an angel who gives him this revelation for God from God. And his thought is, is this true? Is this true? Doesn't seem possible. We're beyond years. And we're like that too. Sometimes it doesn't matter. We don't have to be a priest in the temple in front of an angel. We know the truth of Scripture. I know, God, that you say that all things in that you will work together for good. Sometimes we don't see it happening. And so we doubt. Everything looks so bleak. Please give me a sign so that I can see. Look at verse 19. The angel Answered, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Someone who's done a study of angels pointed out angels seem to have different assignments, different specialties. The angel of the Lord here is Gabriel. And when you read about Gabriel, he's always uh, mentioned in association with giving good news. Another angel by name is Michael. And when you look at Michael, when he appeared in scripture, he's mentioned in association with strength. Or warlike events. And those are the only two angels in scripture that are named. But Gabriel gives Zechariah a sign. That would not only be a reminder of the promise. But as we see from the text was in a way a chastisement for his doubts. Look at verse 20. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words which will come true at the proper time. That would be a burden would it not? When you're used to speaking, and then now you can't speak for nine months. It had to be amazingly frustrating for Zechariah. And the only way he could communicate now was signs or maybe writing on a tablet. Look at verse 21. 
Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. Wouldn't you love to have been a fly on the wall? Or have a video of that? Here he comes out, he's been delayed, everybody wonders, what's the deal? And he can't tell them. He can't explain. Do you know this is where charades started? Oh, I just made that up. But he's not used to this. I mean, there's no sign language that he could employ. And so he's just trying to motion to explain what's going on. This angel appeared to him that, that his wife is going to have a baby. And you think about it. Nobody else is going to be. That's not what they're thinking is going to be the message. How hard must that have been for him to try to explain that? A tremendous challenge. Verse 23. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. She remained in seclusion for five months. I wonder why. Most of us would be out parading, would we not? Look what God's done. Isn't this amazing? This woman who's up in years, whatever that means, well beyond what most people expect to be having a baby. But she's so humble. Verse 25, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown me his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. I think that verse kind of gives us a little insight into her heart as well. Now here in the first chapter of Luke, it also talks about Gabriel's appearing to Mary and telling her this hard-to-believe news. Look at verse 26. In the sixth month, talking about the sixth month since Elizabeth conceived John, God sent the, Abriel, uh, the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, both of these women would be experiencing supernatural births, but there was a contrast. I mean, they're not identical. Elizabeth was older. Mary was younger. Most believe her to be only a teenager. Elizabeth was married. Mary, while betrothed, was not married yet. She was a virgin. And the doctrine of the virgin birth is a very pivotal doctrine. And it's important for us to understand that the Son of God does not have a human father. The prophet Isaiah had predicted 700 years before that that's exactly how it was going to transpire. Isaiah 7:14 reads, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The doctrine of the virgin birth is, is very important, but not believed by all. Not even by all who call themselves Christians. Patrick Campbell in his book, The Mythical Jesus, reports that over 7,000 preachers were polled. And in that group, 19% of the Lutheran ministers do not believe in the virgin birth. 34% of the American Baptists, 44% of Episcopalians, 49% of the Presbyterians, 60% of the Methodist ministers surveyed do not believe in the virgin birth. That was interesting to me. By contrast, a Harris poll, randomly selected adults, found that of those who claim to be Christians, 91% of them do believe in the virgin birth. One author said this, now is that because the ministers have intellectual superiority or is it intellectual pride? 
You've heard this said before. If you can believe the first verse in the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you can believe the first verse of Scripture, then you can believe any miracle. If God created all of this, then any miracle that follows is easily understood. Verse 28, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, in the Latin, it's Ave Maria. Mary, greetings. Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus. Now, this is such a special passage of Scripture, a sacred passage of Scripture. Later, the angel would say to Joseph, her betrothed, and boy, do we understand why this was important. In Matthew 1, verse 20, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. In our humanity, we understand why an angel needed also to appear to Joseph to hear this message. Verse 32 and 33, the angels predicts what Jesus will be and what he will do. He'll be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Here we are 2,000 years later, and we attest to that. His kingdom will never end. Verse 34, how will this be, Mary, asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The first person to question the virgin birth was Mary. How can this be? She's thinking like a human. She's thinking rational. How can this be? Verse 35, the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now in some ways today, this is not so amazing. Doctors with modern medicine can artificially inseminate a woman and she can give birth to a child. But the one who created doctors performed this miracle in the womb of Mary and she conceived. I can't fully explain that, but it's an indication that God is so much more powerful than we are. Now Mary didn't ask for a sign to confirm her promise, but God gave her a sign anyway. Look in verse 36. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. And look at that phrase in verse 37. For nothing is impossible with God. If you're the type that likes to underline in your Bible, that's a phrase worth underlining. For nothing is impossible with God. Debbie Phillips wrote a book with the title, Your God is Too Small. He said, if you have trouble believing the virgin birth, it's not the virgin birth is too big of a miracle. It's that your view of God is too small. Your God is too small. Look what Mary says in verse 38. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. When I think about this story, I think, what an amazing young woman Mary must have been. Graciously accepted this role. Hearing this message from the angel trying to grasp all the burden and the accusation and the suspicion 
that would go with it. She's so humble, so willing. Or as the scripture tells us here, highly favored of God. Verse 39 tells us Mary went immediately to Elizabeth. Ladies, you'd have done the same thing. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Men, it doesn't matter how much you know about childbirth. You can be an OBGYN and you don't get it. I thought I might hear a woman say amen with that one. But it's true, isn't it? I mean, we think we can know we can be a father of many children, but we don't get it. There's nothing like what helps a woman through something like this than another woman who has been through or is going through something like this. When women are pregnant, they like to get together and compare notes. Have you felt the baby kick yet? You know, how is it going? Are you sick? I was sick. Is it all the time? How is it going? And compare notes. Men talk. It's not really good. We're thinking, you know, it's December 31st. Can we hurry up and get that baby here? I think you're gaining a little too much weight. You sure about that? We just don't need to talk. You know, maybe that was the maybe, maybe all men are pregnant. We just need to be mute for nine months. Maybe that would be a good thing. But Mary wanted to be with somebody who understood what she was going through. And that's understandable. She was not only going to have this miraculous child, she'd been visited by an angel. Who else has experienced that? Who else could understand that? Elizabeth could. Zechariah could. She went immediately. Verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. You might remember years ago, Life magazine had an incredible story. It was called Born Twice. Vanderbilt doctors performed an operation on an unborn child with spina bifida with one of the most crippling birth defects. That developing child, just under six months of age, was brought outside the womb. The surgery was completed and reinserted into the womb. You might remember the picture. Do you remember that picture of that little bitty hand and arm coming out and the surgeon's finger? Just grasping it. I remember when I saw that for the first time, I thought, if you've ever been wondering, you know, is that a baby? Is abortion wrong? That image sure helped me. John the Baptist was in the mother's womb, leaped when Mary walked in. John's task, even before he was born, was to announce, to herald the coming of the Son. Verse 41 says, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is this child you will bear. And you can just see this happening. Verse 43 says, But why am I so highly favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Can't you just see this happening? I mean, the the joy is just jumping off the pages here. And I believe that is exactly what Mary needed to hear. She needed these words of affirmation from Elizabeth. Sometimes in life, what you need is someone who understands. And that's what we see going on here. God gave Mary an understanding soul. He's so good. And so Mary just burst out in song. 
In Latin, it's called Mary's Magnificat. It means Mary's song. In fact, some versions, the NIV, that has it as the title there. My soul glorifies the Lord. He's done great things for me. Then verse 56 says, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, then returned home. About three months. She went at the sixth month. I think she stayed for the birth of the baby, don't you? And imagine even if she'd been present for births before, that she'd been paying attention a lot closer this time, knowing that her time was imminent. Then she went home to Nazareth, three months pregnant, knowing soon she'd begin to show. And what would that mean? What would her future be? How could she help people to understand? Now, the last few verses of Luke 1 relate to the birth of John. Look at verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. Everything's good. Everything's wonderful, except Zechariah still can't talk. You would think when the baby was born, that as instantly as he went mute, that it would be unmute. Just push the button. But that's not the way it happens. When the baby was born, he couldn't talk. On the eighth day, when they came to circumcise the child, somebody suggested, let's call him Zechariah Jr. Elizabeth spoke up and said, no, his name is John. John? Who's John? John's not in the family. That's not a family name. Verse 62, it says, And they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. I think that's kind of a funny verse. They made the signs to the father. What does he want to name the child? And in verse 63, he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed. He began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were filled with awe. We're all filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this, this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Something was about to happen. People weren't sure what, but they knew something was about to happen. So what's the takeaway from this chapter? Well, I think the Lord's message to us even though we don't see an angel today to come and speak to us, is the same message that the angel delivered to Zechariah and to Mary. And that's simply this. Do not fear. Do not fear. I will fulfill my promise to you. We can get so fretful about our problems, our health problems, our money problems, our job stress, our school pressures, difficulties in families, our, our children... The list of fears is endless. How many of the things that we stress over? But I looked up in the concordance to see how many times in the Bible we're told not to be afraid. Not to worry about God to be with us. Now, depending on your translation, I'll put a few on the screen here. The Bible says 34 times, do not fear. Like Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. The Bible says 78 times, do not be afraid. John 14, 27 is an example. Peace I leave with you. This is Jesus speaking. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. 
And do not be afraid. Here's another message that appears several times. 19 times we're told to be courageous or be of good courage. Joshua 1 9 might be the first one that comes to mind. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. We're told at least 14 times in the Bible do not worry. Do not be anxious. Matthew 6 34, Jesus said, Do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each time we're told, do not fear, not to worry, not to be anxious, don't be afraid. And the, what follows is always in the context, God is with you. God will be with you. It's important as followers of Jesus that we understand we're told not to fear. Not because there will not be any problems or that God will make them all go away. But that he'll always be with us. Even in the middle of those problems, Zechariah couldn't speak for nine months. Mary faced a lifetime of suspicion and ridicule. It never went away all of her life because they lasted all of his life. She was never vindicated because Jesus in the flesh was never vindicated. He was misunderstood, falsely accused, put to death. And Mary witnessed everything. So there are are problems. There are problems. Even God's most highly favored, like Mary, dealt with problems. But He promises He'll go with us, that nothing will separate us from His love. He'll provide a way of escape from temptation that He will sustain us. He'll be our refuge and strength, a very present help in our time of trouble. He promises that in the end, all things will work together for good. And one day, He'll come back for us. And if we're not still living then, He'll bring us back from the dead. Psalm 23, 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Jesus Christ, to be blunt, is all you need in life or in death. Jesus is all you need. Regardless of where you are or who you are or what you've done, I love God's words in Hebrews 13, 5. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That's the promise from God's own mouth if he's your savior you need not fear if he's not your savior we want to invite you to make him your savior today by confessing your faith let him make you a new creation in baptism let him give you his holy spirit or if we can pray for you in any way what you come as we stand and sing to encourage you